0: We know that it was Paul who stated, and it is a fact, that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God has chosen the foolish, the weak, the base, the despised of this world with the sole object that no flesh should glory in his presence. No people should glory in his presence. Glory is to God and God alone. Paul himself learnt that lesson the hard way through suffering. The proud, the arrogant Pharisee, confident of his own learning, his own high standing, with the authority of the Sanhedrin at his back, had to become the persecuted, the rejected renegade. He had to be shown that God's strength can only be appreciated by a heart that is humbled, contrite and broken. Humility is an all-essential characteristic to every child of God. There is no exception. Pride of any sort is fatal. It will bar in every generation a man or a woman from being acceptable to God. How often we read of one who, when in the place of honour, his heart was lifted up and then God caused circumstances to bring him down, and if not repentant, to destroy him. It was when Nebuchadnezzar was full of pride, full of self-importance, as he saw the proud empire over which he ruled, that he declaimed, how, exclaimed how wonderful a man he was, full of strength and powerful. We look again at chapter 4. You know the words. See them in the context of our exhortation. Verse 30. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honour of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. The terrible punishment was needed to bring this man to a position acceptable to God. Verse 36. At the the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom mine honour and brightness returned unto me, and my counsellors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. He was humbled. Let us note that God does not tolerate human pride self-righteousness, self-importance of any kind. He requires his children to take their strength, their courage, only through him. Now, this equally condemns the defeatist pessimist, one who sees only failure and rejection. Is God the author of failure? Can our Father, who has begotten us unto himself, from whom we take our strength, our courage, fail in what he is doing with each of his children? What this means is that once the relationship has been established through the gospel and baptism, then from that moment on there should be increasing confidence and trust in the future for which God is preparing us, preparing us by our present circumstances. Like Abraham, we must be able to view the fulfilment of the promises as a certainty, not if we reach the kingdom, if ever, but when. Total confidence and trust in God. Remember what is written of Abraham, who against hope believed in hope. Look at Sarah in her old age. It would seem stupid or ridiculous or impossible to imagine that they should have a child. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. Now look at ourselves, little, petty, humble beings. Can we see ourselves in the kingdom as kings and priests with Christ? It seems incredible, impossible. But this is the promise of God. It is this total trust in God that pleases him. Not the arrogance of self-confidence, however apparently reasonable and justified that confidence might be in our own abilities. That is condemned by God. It is when the weak and the foolish show courage and faith in God that God can show, through them, his strength. It is then that he will provide the miracle needed to raise them up to eternal life. Scriptural courage, bravery, is what every one of us should have. It is the expression, the outworking of faith. We must not doubt. This scriptural courage is one of faith's most prominent works. It is faith in action. For the child of God in every generation The world is not a playground, it is not a leisure centre. It is when separation from the world involves keeping separate, not compromising our relationship with our eternal future. This is scriptural courage, and it's a quality that must be found in every child of God. It takes many forms. It has nothing to do with physical strength or with mental abilities. It has everything to do with trusting God, leaning upon God, It is saying in our hearts, and meaning it, if God be for us, who or what can be against us. So to have courage means that we are never overcome of evil, however it strikes us. We're able to withstand it. We're able to withstand the evil day. And God will see that those evil days come pretty continuously as it pleases him. We're able to withstand in those days. And having done all to stand... This does not mean that we are never afraid, that we're never anxious, we never cry. But because of faith and trust, in all those problems we are able to press forward, doing what is right, living acceptably before God, able to accept any trial a loving Father sees fit to bring on us. Now our three readings illustrate this principle in action. Courage must never count the odds. Take account of the strength of the opposition the weight of trial. If a miracle is wanted, God is more able, uh, more than able to provide it. Turn now to the first of our readings, the second of Chronicles chapter 25, and we can see the way in which God insisted on this courage in the face of difficulties in verse 5, second of Chronicles 25 verse 5. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and made them captains over thousands and captains over hundreds according to the houses of their fathers throughout all Judah and Benjamin and he numbered them from twenty years old and above and found them three hundred thousand choice men able to go forth to war that could handle a spear and a shield. How proud he must have been of this magnificent army, the health, the strength, the power of these regiments, but not enough. He hired also a hundred thousand mighty men of valour out of Israel for a hundred talents of silver. There was his own almost invincible strength. But there came a man of God to him, saying, O king, let not the army of Israel go with thee, for the Lord is not with Israel, to wit, with all the children of Ephraim. But if thou wilt go, do, do it, be strong for the battle. God shall make thee fall before the enemy, for God hath power to help and to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the army of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. You do not count the loss. Then Amaziah separated them, to wit, the army that was come to him out of Ephraim, to go home again, wherefore their anger was greatly kindled against Judah. And they returned home in great anger. Then having depleted his army, God gave him the victory. If God is fighting our battles, we cannot lose. If God is not fighting, we've lost already. If God is sharing our burdens, that is to say, if we have genuinely cast our burdens upon him, then we are well able to bear this little, the little loads with which we are left. For Amaziah to deliberately weaken his army, his numerical strength at the command of God, took courage. But that courage was rewarded. It was a pity that other aspects of his life were not so obedient. Our middle reading illustrates the type of courage that never knows the meaning of despair. Daniel chapter 6 verse 16. We will only briefly refer to it. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. The situation seemed absolutely hopeless. This aged 90-year-old man, his strength must have been going, dropped in among those savage beasts. In verse 20, In the morning, when the king came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom you serve continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Then Daniel's voice comes back, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and has shut the lions' mouths, that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. And Daniel was brought up again from the den. Was Daniel afraid? Of course he was. He might have comforted himself with the thought that as he was so old he didn't have many years left. But rather do we think that it was total trust in God that gave his courage, the motive and the energy during those hours. He could not resist or begin to resist the soldiers or the lions. He had no strength in himself. It is this that God wants. He doesn't want us to be self-dependent and confident. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Daniel must have seen very clearly that the entire forces of media and the powers of nature were in the hands of God, to use as he willed. The surgeons in our hospitals might have confidence. It is God who preserves as he wills. It is this that gives us the courage that enables us to accept any form of illness or disability or trial with complete calmness and resolution. God helping us, and he is, we will be in the kingdom and nothing else can matter. Because we are the children of God, all things are for our sakes. Now to know that surely is to trust to display the quality of courage that pleases our Father and that in due time he will reward. He has not promised us an easy life in probation. He hasn't promised us health or prosperity or happy marriages. What he has promised us is that if we live as children, if we develop those fruits of the Spirit throughout our probation, then the kingdom with all its glories will be ours. In the New Testament, the circumstances of the lives of those early disciples were hard in the extreme, demanding from every disciple, men and women, a ready acceptance that whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. They were expected to be of good courage, even in the extremes of adversity. Turn to Acts 5 and see the way in which this principle was developed in those early years. In verse 17 of Acts chapter 5, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands upon the apostles and put them in the common prison. There must have been despair in those uncomfortable conditions. In verse 19 we read this, But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to all the people the words of this life. In other words, you haven't got to worry about the impossibilities of any given situation. Could you have had it more difficult? The doors shut, the jailer outside. It was nothing to God. In a few brief minutes, they were outside as if they'd never been in prison at all. Verse 25, Then came one and told them, saying, behold the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people then went the captains with the officers and brought them without violence for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned and when they had brought them they set them before the council and the high priest asked them saying did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in his name and behold you have filled jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us And Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They went about and continued to do exactly that. The rest of the Acts of the Apostles illustrate very clearly the variety of ways in which the early disciples had to show continuous day-to-day courage of the highest order. When the Apostle Paul was at the height of his powers, in all probability it was near blindness with which God afflicted him. God didn't want necessarily an energetic, capable orator who could have been gainsaid. His strength could not have been gainsaid, sorry. His strength was made perfect in Paul's weakness. When the list of the faithful was compiled by the Spirit in Hebrews 11, much stress was laid upon the reality of their sufferings. They were sawn asunder, literally. They were hunted as wild beasts. An all-wise father withheld the miracle that was required to save them, to preserve their mortal existence, as if those few years of extended life could possibly have mattered. They all died in faith totally resolved to hold fast to their hope. The original meaning of courage is to be confirmed of heart, to be strong of heart, to be firmly established. This was how Amraziah, Daniel, Peter, Stephen were able to continue their lives totally trusting in the living God, totally resolved that nothing would shake their faith. Daniel might easily have argued, others might have argued, that he could have eaten of the king's meat, what difference would it make? He need not have made such a fuss. He could have closed his windows and prayed in secret. He, didn't have made, he need not have made such an ex- exhibition of his religion. He might have shown respect to the monarch, made just a suggestion of, of obeisance. This was a compromise totally unacceptable to Daniel. No, courage was required in adversity. It is a compromise that must be rejected equally by us. Our courage must never desert us as we stand firm against the world and its temptations, against its invitations. We have a cross to carry and must be seen to be carrying it. We are different. We must be seen to be different. We spend our Sunday mornings worshipping, not sailing dinghies. We spend our Sunday evenings preaching the gospel. We read. We study God's word collectively and individually. We feed on it. It's more necessary than our daily food. We are, as Jews and Christians, in an alien world, a godless world. We face our neighbours at work, as men and women of a declared faith. This takes courage, and it's meant to take courage. We accept our trials, knowing that here unto we are called. We bear them with patience. They will give us experience, and experience will give us hope, and hope will make us not ashamed. To weaken, to falter, is understandable. It's forgivable, but it must, be, must not be indulged in or excused. It must be recognised for what it is, a temporary loss of courage to be regretted and repented of. We have the perfect example in the life of the Son of God. Consider his courage. Not over-physically strong or wiry. He was able to endure and he felt the pain of the blows, the scourgings, He was able to endure even to the climax of the cross. See his courage as they pushed the nails through his hands and feet as they put him on the cross. It was for our sakes. Thy will be done. Here was the right appreciation of the present and the future. We now see it in the bread and wine in front of us. Let us take them with our determination and resolution strong. God is helping us and we will reach the kingdom.